Blog Talk Radio. Out there, you know, I get 
I get so freaked out by it. By How about this? this? Schizophrenia linked to smoking. Yeah, that's a new thing that came out. I was really surprised. I never heard that. No, me neither, but it wouldn't surprise me. The association between psychosis and smoking tobacco has been observed for a long time. In England alone, 42% of cigarettes are smoked by people with mental health problems. <laughs> and in the United States, 80% of those <laughs> oh with schizophrenia smoke, compared to a national average of 20%. This has focused a debate around what came <coughs> first, the smoking or the mental illness. A new study published in The Lancet suggests that smoking tobacco might be a modest causal factor in psychosis. By completing a meta-analysis of 61 studies, the team found that 57% of the people who were first diagnosed with psychosis were smokers, which the researchers claim implies that, at least in some cases, the smoking came first. But of course, there are underlying genetic factors that this fails to take into account. It just shows you you can do <laughs> anything. Okay. It's often been thought that people who suffer from schizophrenia are more likely to take up smoking to alleviate some of the stress, distress caused by the condition. While helping ease symptoms like impaired thinking and to counter the side effects of antipsychotic drugs, in effect, self-medicating. But that's not what this study appears to show. Anyway, this yeah. is a long time. So, but the funny thing about that is, you know, uh, I smoked for almost 40 years. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have any signs of schizophrenia that I know of or I've never been diagnosed. But um, Or other mental illness. Or, well. Yeah. Psychosis. <laughs> I think... I think under the but term, I think, I everybody, think everybody in the world is psychotic. I think what the article is saying is that, you know, you can make a case for just about anything, and they yeah. didn't really do a very good study. No, I mean, well, it's fair. It's a mega study. It's a, it's Hidden wonderful. study. Farmer drugs side effects worse than publicized. What if I told you that pharmaceutical side effects are worse than the known warnings and occur more often than publicized? A 2012 study that proved this was ignored by the mainstream media. Often, no matter how bad you think it is, the reality is worse than imagined. I mean, folks. This is the case yeah. with pharmaceutical side effects. It's so bad that even a university mainstream medical research team acknowledges that there are more adverse side effects than disclosed, and the mainstream media was silent. But even their research is based on making Big Pharma and the AMA more user-friendly. When the practice of trying to create profitable chemical solutions that cause more harm than help should be reined in or halted. Instead, the medical monopoly viewpoint still maintains pharmaceuticals as the only medicine that works. Nutrition hardly affects health, if at all. Herbs, pop up right in the middle of this, herbs that plants from, you keep moving, herbs are plants from which we duplicate active ingredients for synthetic drugs to produce the only effective medicine. Homeopathy doesn't work, etc. That's the medical monopoly's programmed mindset. A slight crack has appeared in the armor as the medical ag- in the armor of their medical arrogance. 
Researchers from Stanford Medical School created a couple of databases that demonstrate there were up to five times more adverse effects from pharmaceuticals than displayed or publicized. Hmm. Stanford's study was reported in March 14, 2012 edition of Science Translational Medicine uh, by lead author Russell Avon. They created a dual database system to analyze data. All right. The researchers also uh, mentioned that clinical trials for obtaining FDA approval are insufficient for assuming safety for everyone within all situations. However, their viewpoint is still locked in the medical monopoly mindset mentioned earlier. I thought there was a video that went with this, mm. but I guess. Oh, yeah. Here it is. Here it is. Let's look at this. We have a little audio for you death, folks. Death by medicine. Oh, six well, it might be worth listening to. I would to. think so. This is Gorilla, by Dr. Yeah, Joseph yeah, Mercola. Yeah, Conventional medicine has emerged as a leading cause of death and injury in the United States. Wow. Oh, my God. Instead of lifting up people's level of well-being, the American medical system now doing more harm than good. Hospitals, which are supposed to be a safe haven for the ill, are plagued with medical malpractice and errors. In 1999, up to 100,000 people every year were at risk of dying from a safe made in the hospital. Ten years later, that number rose to 180,000. Today, that number can be as high as 440,000 casualties of medical mistakes. Hospitals are also notorious breeding grounds for infections. Every day, one in 25 patients in the U.S. gets at least one infection associated with their hospital stay. Nearly 2 million people require a hospital infection every year, resulting in 90,000 deaths. Common infections acquired in hospitals are pneumonia, surgical site infections, gastrointestinal, urinary tract, and bloodstream infections. Antibiotic resistant infections affect more than 2 million Americans every year, killing about 23,000 and accounting for a staggering $20 billion annual direct health care costs. The conventional medical system has also transformed the U.S. into a drug-dependent nation. Nearly 70% of all Americans are taking at least one prescription drug for a chronic or medical condition. Antibiotics, antidepressants, and opioids top the list. One in five Americans take at least one psychiatric drug. One in four senior citizens takes 10 to 19 pills a day and fills over 30 different prescriptions a year. If you add in drugs prescribed for other chronic senior conditions, such as GERD, angina, depression, rheumatoid arthritis, and congestive heart failure, that could easily add up to two dozen or more drugs a day. Children are being overtreated with medications and vaccines. In fact, they are the leading growth demographic for the drug industry. This growing dependency on drugs is not only putting our health on the line, 
was also placing a huge financial burden on our shoulders. In 2012, the U.S. led the world with $328.2 billion spent on prescription drugs. By 2017, that number is projected to be $350 to $380 billion. Who is making money off our so-called need for so many pharmaceuticals? Think about it. The market for pharmaceuticals and biotech drugs is projected to hit $1 trillion in 2014 and will rise to $1.2 trillion by 2017. Yeah, you are. Based on the neurological adverse effects of antibiotics. 
I didn't realize there were such effects from antibiotics. Hmm. Hmm. So you don't really know. There's something interesting. Uh, not to do with health, but the major retail chains are shutting down thousands of stores. Are you prepared and self-reliant? There is, chatter, there is chatter across the web about dozens of major retail chains that are expected to permanently shutter a large number of their store locations this year. Popular names like Abercrombie & Fitch, Barnes & Noble, Chico's, Children's Place, Coach, Fresh & Easy, Gymboree, Daisy Penny, Macy's, Office Depot, Pier 1, and Pep Boys. And many others are named as soon-to-be casualties in some in what some news sources are referring to, referring to as the coming retail apocalypse. The economic collapse blog uh, pins 2015 as a significant turning point for the U.S. economy, ominously <clears throat> warning that at least 6,000 retail store locations are expected to close this year based on company announcements. Many American consumers are already witnessing the birth pangs of this retail apocalypse as brick-and-mortar department specialty and even food shops close their doors for good. Let's look at the list. Take a look uh, at the following list that is announcing upcoming store closures. Abercrombie & Fitch, 180 stores by 2015. Aeropostale. Aeropostale. What the hell is that? It's a store. That's why they're closing. Nobody knows what it is. Aeropostale? Mm-hmm. 75 stores. I wonder what the hell they sell. American Eagle <laughs> Outfitters, 150 okay. stores. Barnes & Noble, 223 stores. Uh, nobody reads that one. Body Central Body Shop, 265 stores. Nobody's working out. Bottom yeah, they dollar. are, but they buy everything on the Internet. <laughs> Bottom Dollar Food, $66. Nobody wants crappy food. I've never right? even heard of that one. No, that's why Build the Beer. 25 stores. That was kind of a fad. What was that? You go in and you can pick out a bear that you want. You pick out an outfit or another character. It could no, be. No, no wonder they're closing. Well, okay. kids, kids <laughs> love those things. Yeah, well, build they're a bear. Expensive. Not, not that one. Be wonder. What the hell is that? I don't know. Yeah, these stores. Nobody even knows that they are. Cash yes. 21 stores. Chico's 120 stores. Nobody That's a clothing store. Anymore. Children's um, place. 200 stores. <coughs> Christopher and Banks. I have no idea. <coughs> Coach. Um, 70 stores. That's a very high scaled up end leather goods. Yeah. Coco Caro's. No idea. 70 stores. Deb Shops. Deb Shops. 300 stores. Celia's 92 stores. Hey, I can tell you right now why these stores are closed. Oh, I know a lot of them. Nobody knows who the hell they are. Dollar Tree, 340 stores. I'm surprised. Yeah, nobody's even buying dollar Einstein, stuff. Einstein Brothers Bagels, 39 stores. Express, 50 stores. There's no money in the economy. Mm -hmm. People are dying out there. Future Shop, Future Shop. Best Buy of Canada. 65 stores. Golf Galaxy. Nobody plays golf anymore. <laughs> Who can, can afford, afford it? it? Yeah, 54 stores going out. Uh, Guess, okay, 50 stores. Nobody wears those. Jimbery, 26 stores. J.C. Penney's, 40 stores. Jones, New York Outlet, 127 stores. Wow. <coughs> just, just baked. I don't know what he cares about that. 10 stores. Kate Spade, Saturday, and Jack Spade. Nobody knows who they are. 
Twenty-eight stores. Macy's, fourteen stores. Office Depot, Office Max, four hundred stores. Wow. Pet Boys, sixty-three stores. Yeah, people aren't getting cars fixed anymore. I guess. Oh, in the coming years, it doesn't say how long. Pier One, one hundred stores. Pick and Save, twenty stores. Radio Shack, a thousand seven hundred and eighty-four oh. stores. Well, yeah, it's exactly. it's a bad business plan for now. It worked when it was. You know, yeah, well, you can't. You ago. can't have idiot managers, and you can't have bad products that you keep bringing back. You know, that's why Radio Shack is closing. Ruby Tuesday, lousy, lousy stuff. Thirteen stores, Sears, seventy-seven stores, yeah. Barton Nash yes. grocery stores, ten. Never heard of that. Staples, fifty-five. Target of Canada, a hundred and thirty-three stores. They've gone through bankruptcy. Wow, Canada. Tiger Direct. 31 stores. Walgreens, 200 stores. West Marine, 10 stores. Wet Seal, 338 stores. And Wolverine yep. Worldwide. How the hell that is? A rising cost of living and dwindling incomes have left the middle class with minimal extra spending money. Yes, that's exactly what's going on. As you'll notice, many of these companies are household names that sell everyday products as opposed to specialty or commodity products. Several major grocery store chains are represented here, as are major department stores like Sears and JCPenney that have been around forever. While this might simply be a sweeping scale back for these companies, the closure points to a much more serious economic reality. With a significant bulk of consumer spending now taking place online, brick-and-mortar stores are struggling to bring in enough revenue to warrant keeping their physical locations open for business. When, con- when combined with a massive reduction in consumer spending due to a rapidly shrinking economy, it appears that we're seeing a recipe for a major retail failure in, the- failure in the coming weeks and months. What we find is that over the past six months, we had a tremendous drop in true discretionary consumer spending. And, uh, and this confirms the fundamental theory that consumer spending is showing the initial signs of a severe pullback. People don't have the money for crying out loud, you know? Well, talk to the Republicans who say, oh, trickle-down economy. Their idea was <laughs> yeah. keep it. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they didn't have anything trickled down. Yeah, they can uh, piss on you. Uh, can chemotherapy kills cancer patients faster than no treatment at all? Wow. What do you think of that? Wishful thinking simply won't deter from the fact that a cancer industry is just that, an industry. And doctors, drug companies, hospitals, and other key stakeholders profit heavily each time a cancer patient submits to the conventional treatment model, (coughs) which typically involves injecting chemotherapy poisons into the body, blasting it with ionizing radiation or cutting off body parts, or some barbaric combination of all three. It might rub some people the wrong way to state this, especially those who've had who had to watch a loved one die from conventional cancer treatment. But each of these supposed treatments don't actually work in many cases. Little-known science, which uh, the medical industrial complex has made it a practice to ignore or cover up, reveals that despite what the medical industry often claims, chemotherapy in particular just isn't an effective cancer treatment. Dr. Hardin B. Jones, a former professor of medical physics and physiology 
at the University of California, Berkeley, has been studying the lifespans of cancer patients for more than 25 years when he came to the conclusion that, despite popular belief, chemotherapy doesn't work. He witnessed the multitude of cancer patients treated with the poison die with the poison die horrific deaths, many of them meeting their fate much earlier than other patients who chose no treatment at all. After investigating this further, Dr. Jones found that cancer patients who went, underwent chemotherapy actually died more quickly in most cases. Those who followed their doctor's recommendations than those who followed their doctor's recommendations by getting the treatment. A few number crunching efforts later, and Dr. Jones exposed the fact that the conventional cancer industry doesn't want the world to know about this multi-billion-dollar cash cow. People who refuse treatment lived for an average of 12 and a half years, uh, stated Dr. Jones in last study, which were published in journal. Transaction of New York Academy of Sciences. Those who accepted other kinds of treatment lived on an average of only three years. Uh, wait a minute. People who refused treatment. Hmm. Yeah. Well, breast cancer patients who reject all conventional therapies live four times longer than those who follow the system. Imagine that. <clears throat> Did you catch that? Or refusing conventional cancer treatments and doing nothing resulted in cancer patients living more than four times longer than their more compliant counterparts. This is something you never hear about in the mainstream media, which continues to peddle the myth that cancer patients somehow need, need poison injected into their bodies in order to survive and reach cure status. Dr. Jones' study also found that the, that the same is true concerning conventional treatments for breast cancer. Women with breast cancer refused chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery and remained untreated Likewise, lived four times longer than women who went under the knife or agreed to be poisoned with chemicals. As admitted in a more recent study published in the journal Clinical Oncology back in 2004, chemotherapy is really only effective about 2% of the time for all cancers, and this is based on the standard five-year survival rate criteria, which isn't technically indicative of a cure, even though health authorities often like to claim it is. Oh, man, a separate study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association back in 1979 found that many of the most common procedures for diagnosing and treating breast cancer, nearly all of which are still used today, have done nothing to lower breast cancer rates or increase survival for breast cancer patients. Two other studies, one out of Israel that was published in 1978, another one out of the UK that was published in The Lancet in 1980, came to similar findings. Overall survival of patients with primary breast cancer has not improved in the past 10 years, despite increasing use of multiple drug chemotherapy for treatment of mastitis, explained the Lancelet study, entitled Failure of Chemotherapy to Prolong Survival in a Group of Patients with Metastatic Breast Cancer. Furthermore, there has been no improvement in survival from the first metastasis, and survival may even have been shortened in some patients given chemotherapy. Natural cancer treatments are your best bet should you develop this horrible disease. There are solutions to treating cancer naturally, though they don't involve just doing nothing, which is clearly better than going the conventional route. 
An abundance of natural cancer treatment options are outlined at endalldisease.com, a free resource containing an abundance of health information about health disease, about health disease, the environment, and and more. Let's go to that. Well, no, actually, what I wanted to do is I think this, these things are more important here. At this point. Well, people might we can see what diseases they talk about, and we can. Okay. okay. Where do you want to go? endalldisease.com. Yeah, let's make sure we go back to this one. Yeah, we'll come back. There's so many, so many important ones. We're going to this site called endalldisease.com. Take a look to see uh, how this site is set up. You know, we do this show every week, and I try to stay as positive, but boy, it's hard. Uh, and one part they say health and nutrition, and the other is disease and toxins. Where do you, where do you want to go with this? Eight ways society is feminizing the human male. Well, that might be interesting. Yeah. Why baby carrots are killing you? I think they're washed in arsenic or something horrible. Bleach. Or bleach. Actually, bleach. Oh, twin powerful, 12 powerful antibiotics that don't require a prescription. That's antibiotics don't. Um, okay. So it must be through the food. Okay. Yeah, I just thought maybe they would list by disease what you could do. So if you just go to disease up there and see if it... Um, Oh, see, they have a list of diseases, Ebola, AIDS, cancer, and they talk about vaccines. Television, toilets, pharmaceutical drugs, electromagnetic field, danger medical procedure, and genetically modified organs. The television is killing you, too. Hmm. Everything seems to be all Everything the modern. Is killing us Everything. Fracking, mining, yeah, yeah, yeah. lawn. But, you know, this might be interesting to bookmark here. Endalldisease.com. So go to that when you have time. I haven't heard of that one before. Might be worth exploring, yeah. especially if you have an illness or something. There might be um, something that you need to know. Okay, eight ways society is feminizing the human male. Pesticides on conventionally raised fruits and vegetables. Soy is a health product because uh, it's high in estrogen. Mm-hmm. Hormones in beef, okay? Oh, that's great. And then... Um, beer? beer? Oh, God. German beer, beer almost never contained hops. I guess hops is known for its use in beer. Eh, uh, don't drink beer. Television and the feminization of men. Yeah, well, that's it. true. Yeah, Caitlin now. Many of your Caitlin typical beer. favorite meal Hollywood celebrities have been portrayed as cross-dressers in at least one of their films. We are witnessing a social condition, a societal conditioning that appears to be normalizing, encouraging feminine behavior in males. Here are the ones that have been in dressed as women in TV. Brad Pitt, 
Jude Law, Dennis Rodman, John Travolta, Dennis Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. James Franco, Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland, Robin Williams, Oscar De La Hoya, and Wayne Brothers. There's a lot more, I don't know. Yeah, they, they didn't, this must be an old article, but they didn't mention Caitlyn Jenner. Unsaturated fats. Yeah, that kills you. BPA and plastics kill you. Right. Make you feminine. Yeah. Fat, fatlets. Phthalates. in Phthalates and scents. While BPA mimics estrogen, phthalates block testosterone action. Not only do, do we have abundant chemicals in our food supply that act the same manner as estrogen, but now we have a chemical that inhibits the body's use of the little testosterone we have left. Studies of male animals exposed to fatulates have found reduced sperm production. What are the fatulates? Shampoos, colognes, perfume, deodorant, hairspray, body lotion, makeup, uh, wow, God Almighty, it's unbelievable what's happening to us. Mess. So anyway, we're dying, we're becoming feminine, effeminated. Well, it's being pushed on TV. Uh, and God, it's, all, it's all sick stuff. I'm about ready to throw my TV out rather than get more. I think mm-hmm. I want to just throw it out. Uh, and then, let's see, what else do we want to do? What am I looking for? You wanted to go back? Yeah. Okay. Well, one of the, this thing really scared me a little bit. Uh, 600 strains of an aerosolized thought control vaccine already tested on humans is deployed via air, food, and water. Hmm. Something that John was talking about the other day. The chemtrails and so on. Mm-hmm. The chemtrails. Yep. According to the document, you're about to see, for the last eight years, government scientists have actually engineered viral vaccines designed to alter thoughts and beliefs by infecting the brain and suppressing genetic expression of neurological cells. Dispersal of these vaccines have been tested via high-altitude aerosol sprays, highway vehicles, and the water supply, and even the food system. As you see in the document and video below, the vaccine was intended for the start for the start to be deployed against civilian populations, and 600 strains of infectious viruses were tested on human subjects. One of the transmissions uh, infectors uh, documented in the testing exploited an influenza strain to spread the mind-infecting virus as a pandemic. The point of all this is to infect the minds of the population and transform people into what the government calls normal. From the government's point of view, of course, normal means obedient and mindless. This is all described in a video in a document that surfaced several years ago, but which are now only beginning to connect the dots um, as the medical police in police state in America accelerates to insane levels of aggression against the population. See recent stories on medical kidnapping in Arkansas and CPS kidnapping of children in Arizona, for starters. This YouTube video, described as a leaked Pentagon Pentagon video, features a Bill Gates-sounding scientist explaining in cold, calculating language how engineered vaccines can eliminate that behavior that's considered undesirable by the government. Starting at the three-minute mark, you can hear the scientists explain how a vaccine can turn a fanatic into a normal person. 
A normal person, of course, means a person who is obedient to government authority. Here's a transcript. Okay. Uh, you can go to the YouTube video. Yeah, let's just go to the video. Excuse me. On the left over here, we have individuals who are religious fun fundamentalists, religious fanatics. This, this was and this put is the expression, in, uh, April uh, RT PCR, real time PCR uh, expression of the VMAT2 gene. Over here, we have individuals. So, so, so let, let me complete. So, over here, we have uh, individuals who are not particularly uh, fundamentalists, not particularly religious, and you can see there's a, a much reduced. Uh, expression of, of this particular gene, the, the BMAT2 uh, gene. Uh, another evidence that, that supports our, our hypothesis is for the development of, of, of this um, approach. Uh, what, what you see here is by, by, by studying this virus, we're going to eliminate individuals from going on a bomb vest and going into a market and blowing up the market. So our, our hypothesis is that these are fanatical people, uh, that they have Overexpression of the VMAT2 gene, and that by vaccinating them against this, will eliminate this behavior. Uh, so we have some some very very uh, remarkable data in this next slide. Uh, here we have two uh, brain scans. These are fMRIs. Uh, these are two different individuals with different levels of expression of VMAT2. Uh, on top uh, is an individual who's a religious fanatic. An individual, and we've repeated this numerous times, that, that uh, has uh, high levels of EMAT2. Now, um, this individual down here who had low levels of the EMAT2 gene, this individual would uh, self-describe as, as, as not particularly religious. In, in each case, uh, these individuals were, were read a religious text. Uh, this individual uh, liked Wow. Um, well, you know, the right middle front of the body. Here, here. Uh, that's part of the enough. brain. That's well, they're yeah. just spraying yeah. from a plane or something, uh, and that changes. That, you know, that, you can that, get that, 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 say a demonstration. Say people are demonstrating against something that the government really doesn't want to. When we were in we were in D.C. Yeah. That big demonstration, and they they were spraying us, and. Thousands of people were getting sick, you know, when they go home and they were in there. And, uh, you know, that was what it was. We verified it. And uh, they had a, a biochemical spray uh, that was uh, plagued the whole Washington, D.C. Uh, mm -hmm. area. And and who, else, who knows what else was in there? It was there. reported by the Washington Post. Yeah, there were thousands of people, you know, and who knows what else we got there. But, yeah, it was a bioweapon that was spray. A lot of people that we knew who came home were sick. They were sick. They were in total, absolute denial, all right, that that happened to them, even though the reports were in the, in, mm -hmm. were, were in the news, all right, and they I They didn't want to believe they it. They laughed at it. They said, oh, that's not possible, even though they were, <coughs> I'm dying, you know. Yeah. You know, people are stupid, you know. Well, and, they've and been so they're, they're brainwashed. So brainwashed. No, even, they're not stupid. They they're just, stupid, Lila. They're stupid. They're morons. They're just... I don't agree. And, I, and this is what's causing it, you know. Well, they can't. If and it's that being is done that them, being stupid, you know. I'm sorry, that they just are. They find it hard to, to believe that other people or that our government can be so if, diabolical. Yeah. And they are. They, yeah. they absolutely are. Well, they've been brought up in a world where they were told that everything that the government wasn't like that. Yeah, but, I mean, it's like it's like George Carlin uh, shortly before he died, and one of his famous things. He says. 
the first thing, the only thing, the one thing that I believe is never do I ever trust a word spoken by the government. And he was on right on target. You know, every every damn thing they say is a lie, and it's meant to meant to screw you over. And it's so true. We see it all the time. I mean, chemotherapy we just read about. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, here, McDonald's and global profit freefall as people everywhere increasingly reject chemically altered toxic fast food. I think that's funny. really mm-hmm. I really do. Uh, uh, here's another one. Russia throws down the gauntlet. Energy supply to Europe cut off. Petrodollars abandoned as currency in war escalates. Well, that's, you know, that's why we're arguing about whether to hang the Confederate flag or not. Oh, yeah. They're trying to avoid... Talking about anything. Yeah, anything, right. I mean, economic slavery for a while. While we were distracted with the Confederate flag, okay, Congress quietly forfeited our entire economic future via fast-track trade authority. They signed all that? They signed it. They agreed to it. That's why there was all that about the... Uh, yeah, you, you, you got to wonder if that... If is those, there an article that goes along yeah, with that? Yeah, you got to wonder if those poor people were, were killed for that reason. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Jesus. Now you got While America was distracted by a contrived, pre-planned Confederate flag distraction, mm. the U.S. Congress forfeited the entire economic future of the country by quietly passing so-called fast-track authority, which will allow President Obama to... Approve the TPP free trade agreement. The Trans-Pacific Partnership, as you may have heard, outright surrenders U.S. sovereignty to multinational corporations, handing them total global monopolies over labor practices, immigration, big pharma drug pricing, GMO food labeling, criminalization of garden seeds, and much more. In all, the TPP hands over control of 80% of the U.S. economy to global monopolists, and the TPP is set up to enable those corporations to engage in virtually unlimited toxic chemical pollution, medical monopolization, the gutting of labor safety laws, and much more. Plus, did I mention the TPP will displace millions of American workers as corporations outsource jobs to foreign workers, while corporations rake in profits from new global powers. Every day America work, American workers will lose their livelihoods and their jobs, not to mention their pensions. Political sleight of hand is so easy to distract the American people with a flag flap. Essential America... Essentially... Yeah, America just got sold out by people like Marco Rubio. And it was incredibly easy to pull off, too. First, America was distracted by a contrived pre-planned mass hysteria outrage event, uh, not known as now known as the Confederate flag flap. Hilariously, this uh, literal false flag controversy doesn't even involve the actual Confederate flag. It involves a battle flag that people mistakenly think is the Confederate flag. But who needs historical accuracy when there's hysteria to spread? Well. Amazon.com was frantically deleting Confederate flag products from its website, and everybody was going back crap insane over this uh, 1970s comedy TV series, Duke of Hazard, and its use of the so-called Confederate flag on a hot rod car. Republicans and the president were busy committing outright treason at the highest levels, 
surrendering American sovereignty and economically enslaving all of America's future children. And that's the uh, tragic irony of all this. While the political left falsely believed it was denouncing slavery by pursuing every online retailer and government entity to ban the Confederate flag, the U.S. Congress was busy enacting a whole new level of total economic enslavement for everyone, regardless of their skin color. While ignorant activists ran around in mass hysteria thinking they were banishing a symbol of enslavement to the history books, they were actually providing the necessary public distraction for a quiet passage of the TPP's fast-track authority. In other words, they played right into the hands of the real slave masters, the globalists, monopolist corporations, and their fascist government puppets who betray the people at every opportunity. Believe me, these corporations don't care about skin color of their slave workers. They gladly enslave everyone, including you and me, if we're stupid enough to allow our own elected representatives to forfeit America's future, which they just did. Screw the Confederate flag issue, folks. All Americans are now the property of the multinational monopolist corporations that have turned national governments against their own people. The Confederate flag flap was merely a useful distraction to trick the population using political sleight of hand to fool everyone about the real agenda being pursued in Washington. America is now officially a nation of slave workers beholden to multinational corporate interests. How does your silly flag outrage feel now? Now here's a talk by Robert Wright by the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Republicans in Congress were eager to work with the Obama administration to fast-track the passage of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. If you haven't heard much about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, that's part of the problem right there. It would be the largest trade deal in history, involving countries stretching from Chile to Japan, representing 792 million people and accounting for 40% of the world economy. Yet it's been devised in secret. Lobbyists from America's biggest corporations and Wall Street's biggest banks have been involved, but not the American public. The pharmaceutical industry, for example, they get stronger patents, delaying cheaper generic versions of drugs. Big corporations and Wall Street get an international tribunal of private attorneys outside any nation's legal system that can order compensation for any lost profits found to result from a nation's regulations. That means even U.S.-based corporations could challenge any U.S. government regulation they claim unfairly diminishes their profits, say, laws that protect American consumers from unsafe products or unhealthy foods, that protect workers, block toxic emissions, or prevent another taxpayer-funded bailout of Wall Street. The Obama administration says the trade deal will boost U.S. exports. Not true. But the deal will also allow American corporations to outsource even more jobs abroad. In other words, it's a Trojan horse in a global race to the bottom, giving big corporations from Wall Street banks a way to eliminate laws and regulations that get in the way of their profits. Right now, they're trying to get something called fast-track authority, so this massive giveaway can pass without any public review or power to amend. So we have to say loud and clear, no to fast-track, and no 
is a Trans-Pacific Partnership. final stages of negotiating the Trans-Pacific Partnership, a massive free trade agreement with Mexico, Canada, Japan, Singapore, and seven other countries. And I come to the floor today to ask a fundamental question. Who will benefit from the TPP? American workers, consumers, small businesses, taxpayers, or the biggest multinational corporations in the world? One strong hit is buried down in the fine print of the closely guarded draft. The provision, an increasingly common feature of international trade agreements, is called Investor Dispute Settlement, or ISDS. Now, the name may sound mild, but this provision fundamentally tilts the playing field further in favor of big multinational corporations. Worse yet, it undermines U.S. sovereignty. ISDS allows foreign companies to challenge American laws and potentially pick up huge payouts from taxpayers without ever stepping foot in an American court. Now, here's how it works. Imagine that the United States bans a toxic chemical that is often added to gasoline. We ban it because we believe it is dangerous for people's health or harmful to the environment. If a foreign company that makes this toxic chemical wants to sell it in the U.S., it would normally have to challenge that in the U.S. court. But with ISDS, the company could skip the U.S. court and go before an international panel of arbitrators. If the company wins, the ruling cannot be challenged in U.S. courts, and the arbitration panel could require the American taxpayers to cough up millions, even billions of dollars in damages. ISDS has the power to impose gigantic fans, the fines, but it doesn't have independent judges. Instead, highly paid corporate lawyers go back and forth between representing corporations one day and sitting in judgment of corporations the next. Now, I don't know, maybe that makes sense in an arbitration between two corporations, but not in cases between corporations and government. We should have real doubts about how likely it is that a lawyer looking to attract high-paying corporate clients will rule against those corporations when it's his or her turn to sit in the judge's seat. It's also a real problem that the only international investors, only international investors, get to use these courts, investors that are, by and large, large corporations. If a Vietnamese company with American operations wants to challenge an increase in the U.S. minimum wage, it can use ISDS. But if an American labor union believes the Vietnamese companies are paying slave labor wages in violation of trade commitments, the union has to try to wind itself through the Vietnamese courts. Good luck with that. These rigged pseudo-courts were created after World War II because investors worried about putting money into developing countries where the legal systems were just not as dependable. They were concerned that a corporation might build a plant today only to watch a dictator confiscate it tomorrow. ISDS was born to encourage foreign investment in countries with weak legal systems. Now, look, I don't know if these justifications made sense back then, but they sure don't make sense now. Countries in the TPP are hardly emerging economies with weak legal systems. 
Australia and Japan have well-developed, well-respected legal systems, and multinational corporations navigate those legal systems every single day. But ISDF would preempt their courts, too. And to the extent there are countries that are riskier politically, market competition can solve that problem. Countries that respect property rights and the rule of law, like the United States, should be more competitive. And if a company wants to invest in a country with a weak legal system, then it should buy political risk insurance, which is available. The use of ISDS is on the rise. From 1959 to 2002, there were fewer than 100 ISDS claims worldwide. But by 2012 alone, there were 58 cases. That's in one year. Here are some examples of recent cases under various treaties with ISDS provisions. A French company sued Egypt because Egypt raised its minimum wage. A Swedish company sued Germany because Germany decided to phase out nuclear power after the Fukushima disaster. A Dutch company sued the Czech Republic because the Czech Republic didn't bail out a bank that the Dutch company partially owned. And American corporations are getting in on the action, too. Philip Morris is trying to use ISDS to stop Uruguay from implementing new tobacco regulations aimed at cutting domestic smoking rates. Now, ISDS advocates point out that, hey, so far this process hasn't hurt the United States. And our negotiators, who refuse to make the text of this trade agreement public, claim that it will include a bigger, better version of ISDS that will protect our ability to regulate in the public interest. But with ISDS cases exploding in the last several years and more and more multinational corporations headquartered abroad, it is only a matter of time before such a challenge does serious damage here. Letting a panel of arbitrators replace the U.S. legal system with a complex and unnecessary alternative on the assumption that nothing could possibly go wrong seems like a really bad idea. This isn't a partisan issue. Now, I don't often agree with the conservative Cato Institute and I suspect they don't often agree with me. But this morning, the head of Cato's trade policy program said that ISDS, and I quote, raises serious questions about democratic accountability, sovereignty, checks and balances, and the separation of power. And he went on to say, these concerns about ISDS are, quote, ones that libertarians and other free market advocates should share. I think that's right. Conservatives who believe in American sovereignty are outraged that ISDS shifts power from American courts as envisioned by our Constitution to unaccountable international tribunals. Libertarians are offended that ISDS effectively offers a free taxpayer subsidy to countries with weaker legal systems. And progressives should oppose ISDS because it allows big multinationals to weaken labor and environmental rules. Giving foreign corporations special rights to challenge our laws outside of our legal system is a bad deal. 
so long as TPP includes investor state dispute settlement, the only winner will be international corporations.
It's the kind of place that attracts people who are so uninformed about food and nutrition that they think Kraft macaroni and cheese contains real cheese, yeah. or that all that natural means organic. Desperate to make up for lost ground, McDonald's has announced its intention to remove human antibiotics from its chicken meat supply in a document entitled McDonald's Global Vision for Antimicrobial Stewardship in Food Animals. The company says it hopes to prohibit the use of antimicrobials in food animals that are by the World Health Organization definition critically important to human medicine and not presently approved for veterinary use. Huh? They're going to require the removal of antibiotics which are not presently approved for use in animals. So what are those chemicals doing in the food supply in the first place? Right. If, if you've you, been eating chicken <laughs> McNuggets over the years, who wouldn't enjoy chicken parts that are pressure-formed into the exact same four cookie-cutter shapes? You've apparently been chomping away on human antibiotics, which were never approved for animal use in the first place. Oh, my God. Uh, and even more worrying, the document doesn't even have document doesn't even say McDonald's is absolutely phasing out those antibiotics. One paragraph explains in classic Dilbert speak that McDonald's will work with each area of the world with stakeholders, including suppliers, industry partners, government agencies, NGOs, uh, veterinary and university extension networks, and other retailers to gain alignment on expectations. <laughs> oh, God, oh, God, what a crazy... Wow. Maybe McDonald's should start serving up wishy-washy milkshakes. Uh, because talk of gaining alignment on expectations of implementation and verification just takes the prize of corporate doublespeak. Why not just test all the raw food materials for antibiotics, reject the suppliers that fail to test, and answers because then they'd have to food, have no food to actually sell to the public. Well, we've come to the end of our show, and you can get, well, you me, can get this say, article. McDonald's claims to protect animal welfare. Yeah, right. Corporations that deny... We have already entered the era of food transparency. We'll be crushed by it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Uh, no Mercy Hospital is with New York too. Good, great. Chemco. You know, knee jumps fast food. No, jumps fast food. Business is booming, says the mayor. He brings in No Mercy Hospital, Cancer Center, funeral homes. Yeah. Oh. That's so sad. Anyway, we've come to the end of our show, yeah. and uh, if you need, a, if you want to get that article, go to Natural News. Yeah. The great site. Dot yeah. com. So good night, folks. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Talk to you tomorrow night. And good tomorrow night. night we have Larry Dorman with us. Union. And